This is Killstreak. your favorite future lover greetings it's killstreak episode 97 we are so close to the centennial episode episode 100 but that's not today today it's 97 i'm eric goslin joining me here as always mr mike price how are you mike i'm good yeah i'm great nothing nothing's wrong everything yeah, nothing crazy is happening I, in our I've lives. Had, I've had a weird last 20 minutes at my house and some uh, unwanted visitors, but uh, I think everything's resolved now. Oh, I hope and they weren't harassing you on the phone for us asking you about scary movies, because that would be kismet. I wish I'd be in my comfort zone then. <laughs> um, no, just the old-fashioned kind of harassment, face-to-face. And uh, it's, it's been a weird 24 hours at my house. Uh, my wife has right. My wife has COVID. Uh, so far, I don't appear. Mm. I don't appear to. I've been testing negative on rapid tests. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Took a PCR. I feel fine. Um, although there's just, supposedly there's like a days days wait, not a day, but days wait. Multiple for, days. Yeah, because it's so backlogged right now. But hey, I don't know. I'm not very. I'm not really worried about it. It's just it's a pain in the ass, man. Because she's like quarantining. I'm sort of doing the. Uh, Mostly solo parenting because she's staying away from us. Is she in the basement? She is. <laughs> oh, man. But I have a theory that you know, that's the thing that happens. with She's faking it? She's care? faking it for some time <laughs> off. Um, I have a theory. Uh, not a theory. Uh-huh. I, you know, when with COVID, um, it's because uh, it's so contagious. And it's so like nobody really knows where they got it from. Mm-hmm. So everybody is always like, well, I did have a right. tickle in my throat a week ago. And maybe mm-hmm. that was it. Yeah. Um, and it's like, you know, you can be asymptomatic. You can be minimally symptomatic. I if I were to if I were a betting man. Sure. I would think that maybe I was the one who gave it to her. In that I didn't realize I was infected. In fact, I have a timeline here that I want to run by you. <laughs> okay. Um, on, see, uh, oh yeah, January second, I meet Mr. Mike Price for disc golf. Mm, That's a no Sunday. Yeah. Who had just gotten home from Wisconsin with uh, his sick father and sick fiance, who didn't test positive. I will say, no. you, you guys never tested positive, nope. but did have some symptoms. Um, and then on Wednesday, the 5th, also get in a car with uh, mm-hmm. Mr. Mike mm-hmm. Price and another friend mm-hmm. of ours, uh, Josh yeah. Briggs, who's been on the show. Yeah. Uh, Friday, again, we, we meet uh, for some disc golf. Um, and then Saturday, both Jess and Josh have come down with symptoms. Somewhere in there, I did yeah. feel weird. Okay, okay. But I didn't. Um, it was just like, I don't know, I feel kind of tired and I feel weird. But sure. I don't know. Not no more so than is it is it this or is it like working yeah. out or what you know going Sure. Sure. Well, you know, if I'm picking up what you're putting down, <laughs> I, I I've opened up my calendar and my last exposure to the only person who tested positive for COVID was Thursday, December twenty third. 
Oh, so that's that's a, that's some time. That was so that was fully. That's a week before thir- we thirteen thirteen days in between then and when you and I saw each other in person outdoors only. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I don't know. We should do, as, we should do some contact tracing. Sure. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> contact my fucking foot in your asshole. Um. Anyways, we're talking about Scream Three, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um what we've been talking about i don't know where you guys have been um i've Eric. seen a lot of takes on the internet about scream 3 that this specifically today i've seen a couple of people really yeah i think people are preparing huh. for scream 5 by watching the full series and i've seen a few sure. <laughs> scream 3 takes today oh boy well oh. i i want to hear some maybe later uh when we're talking about Maybe when we're in the wind-up for our ratings, you can tell me some of the hot takes you've seen. I mean, they're not so hot. There's pretty much par for the like, pretty much what you've come to expect with their uh, lukewarm takes with a scream, scream three, scream, um, scream. <laughs> this is kind of a first. It was not a first-time watch for me. I have seen yeah. it once before in yeah. theaters. I've only seen this movie once. I didn't remember anything. Yeah, I remembered very little. The funny thing is I remembered some shots and some locations. Yeah. But I remembered very little about the plot. Um, I remembered the opening. I remembered all the I Liev Schreiber stuff. I remembered that he was in it. I didn't remember that he was first. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And also, yeah, like I, I remember there's a couple things, especially <laughs> the Jay and Silent Bob thing I really remembered. Oh, my God. I did not remember that. And, oh, wow. Uh, what a treat. Yeah, I don't want to spoil any of my final rankings, but just, you know, for my letterboxed star ratings, that's, I mean, I got to say, I think just technically by the letter of the law, that's minus one half a star. Yeah. Uh, so. Um, but yeah, it, it was, I didn't remember who the killer was. I, I was, it was almost a first time watch for me. I, I, I'm with you in that I, I don't believe I ever rewatched this after I saw it in the theater. You know, in part because I didn't like it when I saw it. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, so I remembered very little. Um, and it's, you know, it was a very different viewing experience than Scream 2, which even though I've seen the first one a million times, Scream 2, like we mentioned, I had seen in the last couple of years. So I was not, nothing happened during the viewing of Scream 2 where I was like, whoa, what? I forgot about yeah, that. Or yeah. A major sort of uh, reckoning. This was a little bit different. This was, like you said, not quite a first-time watch, but close enough that I had to kind of start from scratch. Yes. With my feelings on it. Yeah. It really, um, it really, I really did. Um, let's talk about the making of the movie. Sure. Let's just um, get into it. Okay. So you know we can cut out some stuff that we've already talked about, which was this did begin its life as part of that initial pitch and contract that Kevin Williamson signed. Really. Uh, Yes, because what you know, I had mentioned uh, certainly in the first oh, episode right, that he had that he yeah he had sequels. treatments for two sequels yeah so this existed on paper at least as a pitch since like ninety five, um, and Craven was already under contract to direct it due to his very busy schedule. Kevin Williamson did not come back. Uh, to actually write this. His treatment was the jumping off point, but according to both him and the eventual writer, Aaron Kruger, a lot of stuff changed. Funny name there, right? Huh? Kruger working with yeah. Wes Craven? Better, what a his spooky name, combo. 
His name should be Eckhart, right? Um, <laughs> so, yeah, that's where that's going with it. <laughs> yeah, Aaron Eckhart. Uh, My dogs know, are two- making a lot of noise. I apologize. No, that's fine. You know, old Two Face. Uh, yeah, in, no, in, I know Aaron Eckhart in, in, in the, the company, company of, of men. men. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what what everyone who listens to this podcast is mired in. Yeah, we we um, have a lot of Neil Labute fans. <laughs> They think he's a little soft. Um, <laughs> so anyways, uh, Aaron Kruger was the guy that they did hire to write this. He was uh, already an established screenwriter. He had written Arlington Road. Did you ever see that yeah, one? Yeah, I did. The, yeah, Which I I, re- I don't remember all the bits and pieces, but I remember it being a, a fairly well done little thriller. I remember liking uh, it. Yeah, same. Um, he did a lot of stuff after this too. He same year he did the somewhat maligned Reindeer Games, mm. but uh, he did write uh, the uh, American adaptation of The Ring. Uh, he wrote three of the Transformers movies. Uh, he also wrote the script for the new Top Gun Maverick. Oh, yeah. what the hell happened to that movie? I know it got like coveted, but yeah. I thought it was supposed to be out by now. No, I think it just keeps getting continuously coveted oh. as you as you so aptly put it <laughs> um but uh you know the the movie itself somewhat similar to scream 2 sounds like it had a a somewhat troubled production not not like catastrophic in the way that some of the movies we've covered have but it's just like it sounds like scheduling was a nightmare there were a lot of rewrites there were a lot of reshoots. Um, they had to basically, and this was a, ba- a more or less a studio mandate. So this was a fight between um, Dimension and Wes Craven. But Columbine happened like two months before they went into production. Mm. And the studio was essentially like, uh, you just need to make this a comedy. It can't have violence. And interesting, yeah, because that and is West, one of the things I noticed about this movie yeah, is more of a comedy. It has some of those vibes for sure. And that was something that was a pretty big fight. Um, most of this is coming. From I apologize. I have to get something out of my dog's mouth. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'll tell the f- Let's keep rolling. I'll be yeah, I'll, I'm going to vamp. Uh, so anyways, Aaron Kruger gave an interview where uh, he basically said, we're either going to make a Scream movie or you're going to neuter it the way you're talking about and we'll make a different movie and call it something else. But if it's a Scream movie, it's got to have some violence. Eric, by the way, for those of you listening at home, has just completely disappeared. Oh, here he comes. He's coming back. He's got a matching sweatsuit on. It's kind of a grayish lavender. How would you describe the color of that sweatsuit? I said grayish lavender. It's lavender, yeah. Okay. (laughs) Maybe it's just a little desaturated on your webcam. Um, so my dog Fig just chews on fucking dangerous shit. I don't know what it was. I think he swallowed it before I got to him. So hopefully uh-huh. the vet bill won't be that crazy. Okay. Whenever like uh-huh. the fucking tack he just swallowed. <laughs> <laughs> I <laughs> wish knows? you the best of luck on that. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, if I was a funnier uh, comedian person, I would have spent that whole time dunking on you. And it occurs <laughs> to me, in retrospect, it probably should have been like a Dylan Klebold type situation. Jesus I, Christ. Uh, <laughs> Instead, I just try to do my job. I just talked a little bit about <laughs> the uh, the production of the movie. Well, I but respect anyways, your professionalism. 
Thank you. Well, I blew it all, as I often do, by then saying all of the other things. The things that you could have done? Yeah, that's right. (laughs) The price special. I've spent most of my life talking about the things that I could have done. Oh, man. Um, I think about them all the time. Things I could have done, (laughs) didn't, because I was like, oh, yeah, there'll be an endless opportunity for me to... Anyway, let's keep going. What's uh, which anniversary are you guys coming up on? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, wedding anniversary. It'll be eleven years uh, together for I don't know, two thousand four, whatever that broke yeah, out to. Yeah, seventeen, the yeah. one that counts. <laughs> uh, when she locked it down, uh, which you got to do because young Eric was a real smoke show. Um, Old Eric, not so much, but hey, <laughs> you just have a different. You have a different arg- audience now. She got what she got. <laughs> Jesus. Um, Okay. So anyways, uh, yeah, Williamson couldn't do it. He gave them a 30-page outline, which Kruger and the Weinsteins kind of went to town on, turned into something very, very different. A lot of that is because of the Columbine stuff. Also, Kruger's on record of basically as basically saying that Wes Craven didn't have a writing credit, but he could have if he wanted one. He, He did a lot of rewriting and a lot of... Uh, ideas kind of came from him, um, which makes sense. A guy like that, uh, you know, if he if he tells you young, you know, writer taking over a rewrite, essentially, you're going to listen to Wes Craven, master of horror. Yeah, I mean, I know a lot of big name directors. Their names may not be on the script, but they certainly mm-hmm. have their their input into it. They don't. Just, yeah. Yeah. They don't just yeah. get it. And you're like, OK, this is what we're shooting. Right. What pages do we have today, folks? Okay. Hmm. Oh, this looks fun. Uh, Yeah. So it, uh, like I mentioned, the reshoot thing, too, sounds like it was a real pain in the ass. Apparently, the the opening, the Cotton Weary stuff was like a nightmare. They had to shoot certain things like three times. They had to switch locations. Really? The girlfriend character was added later. She was supposed to be dead when he got there and never, you know, showed up on screen um they lost multiple locations due to having to come back to to do reshoots and they had to like build sets to reproduce places they had already shot scenes um yeah so the whole thing sounds kind of like a shit show and then not surprisingly they also had a lot of the scheduling shit with with the cast because this cast isn't getting any less famous it's like 99 they're shooting this courtney cox is impossible to pin down um and apparently uh nev campbell was super super busy and they part of the rewrites that they did with her character was to cut her scream time scream time uh basically in half yeah i mean she's not in most of the movie i would say yeah yeah agreed um there are some great new additions to the cast some of which i want to save talking about for when we discuss the movie but I'll do another just kind of quick. Uh, we were talking about lightning rounds last time. So this is these are just new. I'm just going to call out some new additions to the cast because we have the all the people who survived the last one come back. Plus, we get a little bonus Jamie Kennedy in a posthumous yeah. video appearance. What do yeah, you think I about that? I forgot about that. I really yeah. did. We'll talk about my feelings okay. on it. <laughs> do you know they they shot two hours of footage? For that what yeah <laughs> like him talking for two hours yeah that's right 
not just like, oh, the shoot was two hours. He said two hours worth of stuff. I mean, maybe maybe it wasn't two hours. But the thing is, there's only one camera angle. Yeah. So, yeah, they could have been doing multiple takes, but it's not like you have standard coverage where you're shooting it three ways. It's just like, no, it's just Jamie Kennedy talking for two hours. Wow. Um, Okay. So, anyways, new cast members. Um, Patrick Dempsey, Mick is he dreamy? Dreamy. Was he, he was McDreamy. Oh, right? oh, actually, is there McSteamy as well? Yeah, there is. Oh, I don't know then. I thought he was McDreamy. I think McSteamy is the guy who who has like the semi pornographic hot tub tape uh, with Rebecca Gayhart um, oh. and a third woman. I, <laughs> I've never seen it. I, would, <laughs> I wouldn't know anything about it. Speaking um, of, uh, not to tease our, I mean to tease our third segment. <laughs> A really yeah. great sex day. <laughs> I mean, great, <laughs> great. <laughs> Hard to find, but worth the watch. Um, yeah, wait for the third segment, folks. Uh, anyways, Patrick Dempsey, Scott Foley, one of the two Bens from Felicity, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we got Lance Henriksen. We got Jenny McCarthy, Emily Mortimer, Parker Posey, Patrick Warburton. Yeah. As as you mentioned, Kevin Smith and Jason Mewes. Uh, Heather Matarazzo in a very strange, very brief very role. strange. Yeah, uh, Carrie Fisher in a cameo role. Right. Uh, Roger Corman in a cameo role. Um, and who was Roger Corman there? I, I, he's I, the studio exec who's there when we first meet okay, okay, Henriksen yeah, and the yeah. director. Yeah. Um, that's Roger Corman. I think I, I saw him and was like, oh, I know who that person is, but I don't know who mm-hmm. the person is. But yeah, now that you say it, like, oh, okay, yeah. That's, yeah, that's who it is. So, and, and, and last I want to call out just, you, you posted a very funny tweet a few weeks ago from the, with the Dune screenshot of me recognizing random actors. Uh-huh. <laughs> So during the very first scene with Gail Weathers, when she's giving her little speech at the college and yep. she gets interrupted by the guy who's like, how does it feel? Do you feel guilty? Immediately, I was like, that's Richmond Arquette. That's David Arquette's brother, oh. who who also briefly appears. He's in, he's in a bunch of Fincher movies. He is also the guy who delivers Gwyneth Paltrow's head in a box in Seven. And he's the doctor. He's the doctor. Who tells, yeah, Edward Norton to chew Valerian root in yep. Fight Club. Yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, I didn't realize I was an Arquette. Like, he yeah. was one of the Arquette brothers. Yeah, that's like the fifth Arquette, right? Yeah. Or, or like, like in terms of, in terms of no, because, because I feel like Patricia's number one. Alexis. David's probably number two. Rosanna, number three. Yeah. Alexis, number four. Richmond, number five, I would say. Yeah. So Richmond's the fifth Baldwin. Um, <laughs> he has a really Arquettes. interesting voice. I know that's why. I think that's why David Fincher likes him. I remember in like a yeah. Fight Club. Um, I can hear his voice. Yeah. giving that line. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. He's in Zodiac too. I forget. I think he. I think he's actually on the phone. I think he. He does. Uh, I don't know if it's the real Zodiac or one of the fake Zodiac callers, but he does like a voice thing. Anyways, those are some actors from Scream Three. Um, the big additions to the cast, Scott Foley, Patrick Dempsey, Parker Posey, I would say they're, they're kind of joined the main cast to a certain degree. Yeah. Emily Mortimer must have not been a big star at that point. No, not, not remotely. In fact, she had, um, visa issues. Oh, um, she didn't even have a work visa for the U S 
Because I like her and I recognized her. Uh, obviously, mm. I guess I didn't recognize her when I saw the movie initially. Yeah. Um, but then I was wondering, like, yeah, I didn't bother to look it up, but I was wondering, like, what her status so, was in Hollywood at that time. So I want to say her first Hollywood credit, I mean, she's in The Ghost in the Darkness, but I think that was an overseas production. Uh, I don't think that shot in the U.S. Same with The Saint. She's in that as well. Very, mm-hmm. you know, Like a blink and you'll miss it kind of role. And then she was in Notting Hill, which is an English movie. And then this is her first like shot. As far as I can tell, I think this was her first like shot in Hollywood U.S. production. Um, and yeah, there, there's a whole thing about how she had to basically leave L.A., fly to Canada, then come back to the u.s because of all this visa fuck around jesus um yeah because she hadn't worked in the u.s before so and then she went on to have bird bones in 30 rock (laughs) the thing i will always remember her for she's very funny she's very funny on that show um and uh she's bad on the newsroom because everyone's bad everybody's bad also uh what's the guy the the, uh, you already mentioned him i forget his name already though uh the, the other cop oh um not Dempsey? Not Dempsey, the other guy. Oh, that guy is in everything. He's also in newsroom. Even... He's the one who gets like right. in that like clip that went viral about uh I think about Bin Laden dying when they're on the <laughs> right. plane. Do you ever yeah. see that? Oh, it's so fucking yeah. funny. That show is so fucking so ridiculous. Fucking bad. Uh, I I was like into it for a couple episodes and it's just like, <laughs> what the <laughs> We should yeah. it's that show is kind of worthy of a revisit with like an episode by episode podcast or something because it's so Man. funny yeah if if this falls apart yeah maybe yeah, we we'll can just do a newsroom recap just podcast. make fun of the newsroom for three seasons <laughs> i'd be into it yeah uh this guy's name is josh pice or pious or pace mm-hmm. P-A-I-S. That's what it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah he's in he's like fucking such a go-to character actor he's in absolutely everything i mean he was in the He's in Joker. He's in uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, too. <laughs> <laughs> he he's, uh, has a seven-episode arc on Ray Donovan. He got back together with Liev Schreiber, oh. even though they don't share a scene together. But, yeah. Uh, the other two weird little acting things I wanted to call out before I moved on, we have the very brief return only in a video flashback of Mr. Loomis, Billy's dad, because uh, we see... Uh, him getting together with none other than Maureen Prescott, yeah, who is the same actress who played Maureen Prescott only in photographs up to this point in the series. Wow! So this is her first live acting Motion. performance, <laughs> yeah, in in the, in the series. And along with Maureen Prescott, we also get her husband, um, which I forget his name, but Papa Prescott, <laughs> yeah, who has. Who has one uh, pretty ham-handed scene with Nev Campbell, which would suggest why we haven't seen him doing more in the series. <laughs> uh, yeah, he, he gives it the old college try, but yeah, he's better with uh, duct tape over his mouth. Over his mouth, yeah, I was going to say. Yeah. He he's still favors denim, though. Like, he's always he wearing denim. He's a real denim daddy. <laughs> yeah. The old Canadian tuxedo. Um, so, yeah, that's the cast. Um production it happened it was fine they cut out so much of the violence um who knows that being said there doesn't seem to be much of an air of like regret 
or anything like that around the movie. Like, Wes Craven never talked about it, like, oh, I wish we had done X, Y, or Z, or, like, it's a blemish. of this. I, I think everyone who was involved more or less felt all right about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it made enough money that, you know, even though they took the requisite break because the movie is so clear about being the conclusion of a trilogy, you know, it would have been just too crass to, I think, you know, wait another two years and do Scream 4. But, mm-hmm. you know, they did do Scream 4... What is that? Thirteen years later? No, yeah, eleven years later. Twenty eleven. Yeah. Yeah, eleven years later. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was meant to bring a close to the series in someone's mind, but it's Hollywood, so we know that stuff. If it makes money, it's never gonna last. No door stays closed. That's like the the real late motif of this whole podcast. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> Although it is funny because I feel like a lot of our focus is on. Uh, the what what always feels like the slightly less depressing sequel machine as opposed to the reboot machine, mm-hmm. w- which feels a little more craven, huh? Huh? <laughs> uh, for some reason that I can't quite put my finger on. Um, well, I think um, yes, I agree with you. I never like reboots are never completely satisfying, but then again, third sequels are never completely that satisfying. <laughs> And it's like it's kind of like you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. It's it's yeah. like essentially the main thing I've taken away from this podcast is like, yeah, you should probably just stop at one or two. <laughs> <laughs> Two's pretty good. Yeah, be be happy with two. Best trilogy enders: Return of the King. Oh, is that yeah. Is that oh, the man. best? I mean, that is that the best Lord of the Rings movie? It probably is, yeah. I'm trying to think of other... Yeah, I mean, any other trilogy I can think of, this, at least the second or the first is like the best I entry. I mean, I think with Indiana Jones, you could argue that Last Crusade is second best. Yes, think, it's definitely I think a lot best. of people like it more than Temple of Doom, and I think it's good. Yeah, I agree. Um, that's pretty much it. I mean, we love Army of Darkness, um, but yeah, I but would I'd say still it's better. Say yeah. Two is probably my better for me. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting question. Yeah, I never really thought about it too deeply. Doesn't happen. I don't. A lot. I don't think I have another uh, Back to the Future three. No, I was kidding. <laughs> I, I mean, do like it's it. Be- I like yeah, it. it's better than most people give it credit for. I think. Yeah. I mean, it was it was not a good move for the kids of the era. For those of us who were like, you know, eight years old when that movie came out, yes. or like, or you know, I was like six or whatever, and we're like, yeah, give me the sequel, and it's like a dusty western. Yeah, what? yeah. <laughs> but as an adult, I'm like, oh, this is great. You know, but yeah, little me was fucking pissed and I loved Back to the Future 2. Oh, see, I was yeah. kind of the opposite. I, I didn't like Back to the Future 2, but I think I was feeding off of my parents. Okay. They, they didn't like it. So I was like, oh, yeah, it wasn't good. And I also was really disappointed that it ended on a cliffhanger. Uh, um, sure. And so, like, at least I was satisfied by Back to the Future 3, whereas, like, it ended. Yeah. <laughs> like, the story yeah. ended. That might have been my first cliffhanger. I might think. be mine, I mean- too. I was yeah. shocked. I was fucking shocked. Yeah, I was like, you can't do this. I was like rocked walking out of the movie theater. <laughs> <laughs> Holding on to the this side of the... This doesn't happen. <laughs> My whole paradigm is blown. Uh, all right. So uh, I think that's pretty much it for pre-pro stuff. I mean, there's a lot of stuff I think that we can talk about when we talk about the movie itself. Uh, that was part of the conception of it, but I think it's more fun to 
to kind of do it after we reflect on the movie a little bit. The other, the only other thing I wanted to talk about was locations. It's all on location, more or less, in in Los Angeles, um, which to spoil something a tiny bit is something that I don't think I could have told you or really would have recognized when I saw it in 2000. Mm-hmm. But watching it now, I was like, Oh yeah, this is a legit Hollywood movie. Now there's some weird stuff that I don't think there's any big producers offices on the fifth floor of an office building overlooking MacArthur, MacArthur Park. Park. Yeah. I was just thinking <laughs> yeah. that too. It's the same uh, building. I think that uh, a scene from neon demon takes place in. Oh, interesting. Or at least like that overlooking this mm. MacArthur Park. Yeah. There's just not a lot of good water features in Los Angeles. No, you know? no. You really got to scrape the barrel if you want to put, you know, a, a little lake or a pond in the background. Um, but yeah, uh, I want to say uh, Nev Campbell's like kind of hidden out in the woods home. That's Topanga Canyon. Um the house that Parker Posey lives in is in Runyon Canyon. Mm-hmm. Uh, the mansion at the end of the movie is a location that I think I've mentioned before on this podcast, uh, both as a, a shooting location and also as a place I've been. It is the Canfield Moreno estate, also referred to sometimes as the Paramore, which is essentially the biggest mansion in Silver Lake. Okay. Um, is that the uh, house at the end? That is the house at the end, yeah. And I've been there. I um, I was the, the help. I worked a catering event there. Oh, yeah, yeah. Ago. We've talked about it on the Yeah, end. that's when I saw Neil Young play live. Right. Uh, and I stood next to Jack Black and watched his last two songs. Huh. Um, so, yeah, I, it, it is uh, a legitimate $40 million mansion uh, on the highest hill in Silver Lake. Um, and then the film studio where everything takes place is CBS Studio Center, which is in Studio City. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so it's all, you know, it's all Hollywood, uh, more or less. And, and this movie is very Hollywood and, uh, and I think we can talk about the plot and then maybe we can unpack some of that. All right, let's take a quick break. California women's crisis counseling. My name is Laura. How can I help oh, you? Laura, I do have a crisis. I've killed someone, Laura. Listening to me? Huh? Who is this? Just one question. Do you think it's over, Sydney? Do you? Whoever it is, is now taking credit for Marine Prescott's murder. But we know who killed Marine Prescott. Billy Loomis and Stu Marker. I mean, they even told Sydney how they did it. Maybe there is a third killer. Guys, this was about cotton. We are not in any danger. We are not in any danger, says Candy, page 15. is this somebody who killed to know where Sidney Prescott is what do you know about trilogies well all I know about movie films is that one all bets are off do you want to have this conversation with a polygraph is that a threat detective it's a threat you'll know it was that a threat here's how I see it I've got no house no bodyguard no movie and I'm being stalked because someone wants to kill me no because someone wants to kill you so now starting now I go where you go that way if someone wants to kill me I'll be with you and since they really want to kill you they won't kill me they'll kill you make sense none you are dealing with the concluding chapter of a trilogy one you got a killer who's gonna be superhuman number two anyone including the main character can die this means you sit 
Dewey, whoever, um, call me back. I can only hear myself. I only hear you too, Sydney. I am not dreaming. I am not crazy. He was there in Woodsboro. It's not Woodsboro, Sydney. Looks like Stab 3 is back in production. You gotta be praying this movie keeps going. Cotton Weary, now living in Los Angeles, in the host of a successful talk television show, 100% Cotton, I love that, <laughs> is contacted by Ghostface, who demands to know the whereabouts of Sidney Prescott. Cotton refuses to cooperate, and Ghostface breaks into his home, murdering Cotton and his girlfriend Christine while speaking with Cotton's voice. Detective Mark Kincaid contacts Gail Weathers to discuss the murders, prompting her to travel to Hollywood, where she finds Dewey Riley working as an advisor on the set of Stab 3, the third film in the series based on the Ghostface murders. Using a voice changer as a ruse, Ghostface kills Stab 3 actress, actress Sarah Darling. Sydney is living in seclusion as a crisis counselor for an abused women's hotline, fearing that another killer may strike. Having discovered Sydney's location, the killer begins taunting her by phone with her deceased mother Maureen Prescott's voice, forcing her out of hiding and drawing her into Hollywood. As the remaining Stab 3 cast, along with Dewey and Gale, gather at the home of Jennifer Jolie. <laughs> uh, it's funny, it's a joke that I didn't really get until I see it in writing. Yeah. Uh, Ghostface murders her bodyguard and uses a gas leak to cause an explosion killing fellow actress Tom Prinz in the process. Martha, uh, sorry, Martha Meeks, the sister of Sydney's friend Randy, who was murdered while Sydney was in college, visits Sydney and the others to drop off a videotape that Randy had made before his death, posthumously warning them that the rules of a horror film do not apply to anyone in the third and final film of a horror trilogy, and that any of them, including the main character Sydney, could die. Dewey, Gail, Jennifer, and the remaining Stab 3 cast, Angelina and Tyson, attend a birthday party for Stab 3's director, Roman Bridger, where Ghostface strikes. Gail discovers Roman's dead body in the basement. Angelina wanders off alone before she is also murdered. Tyson attempts to fight Ghostface, but the killer manages to throw him off a balcony to his death. Jennifer tries to escape through a secret passage, but is murdered by Ghostface. The killer then orders Sydney to the mansion to save Gale and Dewey, who are being held hostage. When she arrives, Ghostface forces Sydney to abandon her firearm and lures her inside where Gale and Dewey are bound and gagged with duct tape. As Sydney is untying them, Ghostface appears. Though Sydney gains the upper hand, using a second hidden gun to, not, uh, to fight him off. Detective Kincaid shows up but is knocked unconscious by Ghostface. Sydney flees and hides in a secret screening room where she encounters Ghostface. He reveals himself as Roman, having faked his death and survived being shot due to a bulletproof vest. Roman admits to being Sydney's half-brother, born to their mother Maureen when she was an actress in Hollywood. Four years ago, he had unsex... Whoa. <laughs> Four years... <laughs> Tell me more. What's slip. unsex? <laughs> Four years ago, he had unsuccessfully tried reuniting with her, only for her to reject him due to him being the product of rape. Bitter over the rejection, Roman began stalking her, 
filming all the men she philandered with and showing Billy Loomis the footage of his father with Maureen, which motivated him to kill her, thus setting off the string of murders in Sydney's hometown at her, and at her college. However, when he discovered how much fame Sydney had attracted due to these events, Roman snapped and lured Sydney out of hiding. Roman then tells Sydney of his plan to frame her for the murders before killing stab producer John Milton, his biological father and their mother's rapist, whom he kept tied up and gagged in a closet. Sydney furiously tells Roman that he is responsible for all of the events that have occurred. A fight ensues, a fight ensues between Sydney and Roman, which ends when Roman shoots Sydney in the chest. Sydney disappears only to reappear and stab Roman multiple times. As he lies bleeding, Sydney shows him that she too was wearing a bulletproof vest. Dewey and Gale arrive when Roman suddenly resurfaces with a knife. Unaware of his bulletproof vest, Dewey shoots him in the chest, but Sydney tells him to shoot Roman in the head, which Dewey does, finally killing him. Sometime after at Sydney's house, Dewey proposes to Gale, who accepts. Sydney returns from a walk with her dog and leaves her gate her gates, which were previously shown to be alarmed, open. She enters her home and is invited to join Dewey, Gale, and Detective Kincaid to watch a movie. As she joins the others, her front door blows open behind her, but she walks away, leaving it as it is, finally confident that the murders are over. Okay. <clears throat> um There you have it. Between the two of us, I'd like to try mm-hmm. to do one of the Sort of, what did they miss? How can we fill in? How some can blanks? we in- inject that? Well, because the thing is, I while you were reading it, I I looked through it, and in the grand tradition of fucking weird ass plot synopses on Wikipedia, this thing's pretty long, and it is two fifths of it covers the first the f- two thirds of the movie. And then yeah. three fifths of of this recap is the last twenty five. The last minutes. scene, yeah, 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 yeah basically, it's fucking insane. Um, yeah, I feel like one of the things I wanted to call out that isn't discussed here is, and and that we should talk about very briefly discussed is this voice changing shit. <laughs> yeah, man. All right, so voice changing is a big, big factor yeah. in this movie. Yeah. Basically, the voice changer that the killer has, the ghost face has, um. Also, all right, put a pin in that for a second. Okay. R- remind me about Ghostface. Okay. Uh, the the voice changer can basically replicate anyone's voice. Including Maureen Prescott, who has been dead for, dead. what, I don't know, five or six years at this point? Yes. Yeah, at this point, yeah, something like that. <laughs> it's absolutely absurd. It's, it's crazy. I would call it, at least in terms of like plot devices, the, the, the weakest part of this entire movie. Um there are other things that don't work that well, but it's the only thing about this movie that like made me angry. Yeah, it's because it doesn't exist yeah. to this day. Yeah, it doesn't. I mean, I guess you could you could actually like deep fake someone's voice, mm-hmm. but not just like anybody. Yeah. Not on the fly through a handheld yeah. device pattern- powered by two AA batteries. Yeah, basically like a talk boy. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, this thing is the dream of the Talkboy commercial, basically. Yes, it is yeah. what I wanted the Talkboy to be. Although the actual Talkboy was pretty great, even just to have a little. It looked so cool. It looked like the Empire State Building. It um, did. Yeah. Um, I wanted to say about Ghostface, mm. do, uh, is this the only instance of a consistent 
costume for a killer, but diff- played by a different person every time. Because wow. Ghostface is the same sure. in every single movie, sure. but it's not the same Ghostface. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, that's a really good question. There's definitely franchises where there's a deviation, but it's like usually the same person. Yeah. Friday the 13th immediately comes to mind where it's like we have a couple occasions where somebody else is wearing the mask, the mask but it's yeah. usually yeah. Jason Voorhees and it always returns to Jason. I don't know. I don't know that I can think of anything else. Yeah, I, I don't. I didn't expect you to have an answer, but I think it's interesting that it's this is like the franchise where the mask and the costume mm-hmm. and, the, and the knife, right, all stay the same. Yeah, and but the killers are different, and the voice, and the voice, except for yeah. this movie, which still. So something we haven't talked about yet um, that I, I don't want to spend too much time on, but. I, I had mentioned in the first episode we kicked down the road a little bit is the ghost face voice, which is consistent through looks to be all five movies. Um, Roger L. Jackson is the guy who uh, voices ghost faces again, not something. Do they ever call him that in the movie? Is that just no, I don't think they do. Yeah, It's just kind of a meta thing. It's outside of, of the plot of the film. Um, he's got an interesting story very briefly. He was a guy who lived in Santa Rosa where they shot the first movie. uh, And they basically needed someone to just do temp voice. So they did a quick casting call locally and found him. And, you know, it's one of those cutesy stories where it's basically like they went back to Hollywood to do the post-production and Wes Craven and whoever, the editor, whoever else was in charge of these decisions. were just like, oh, this guy's great. We don't need to replace him with some Hollywood somebody. It's like. He said he was just the right amount of kind of like intelligent and evil, which is what they were going for. I agree. Yeah. I think he's great. He does a really good job. And, and he's made a whole career out of doing voiceover, mostly in video games. He's done a bunch of games that I've played and that I'm aware of. And he does some cartoon stuff, too. He was a recurring voice on the Powerpuff Girls. And he's, oh. you know, he's appeared in every Scream property. He was even the voice for one of the seasons of the TV show on MTV, which. I mean, he must be making bank. Just from these movies. I hope so. I, I would hope so. I hope he's you, getting You never there. know, actually, with people's deals. And yeah, stuff. who knows? Maybe he signed his life rights away. Um, that's not what that actually is. But yeah. Uh, anyways, moving on. Um, <laughs> yeah, so the voice thing is silly. And it's also something that doesn't really come across in this synopsis, that at various points in time, Roman is the killer in this movie impersonates most of the major cast over the phone. Yeah, at some point. And yeah. he lures people into situations where they're mm-hmm. killed. Yeah, which is a new plot device, which, like, I think there's a way maybe you write yourself there without having this crazy technology, because it's interesting. It is it is a new angle to have Ghostface luring people, you know, using like trickery, basically. That's not, that hasn't been part of the MO up to this point. So, right, right. Um, yeah. Okay. Anyways, uh, other things that were left out here, I don't know. We'll cover them as we go through. Yeah. I mean, yeah. a lot of the like secondary cast, the, the cast of mm-hmm. Stab. Yeah. Being like their personalities, like the Emily Mortimer character is sort of like a, it's her first big break. She won a competition. Yeah. Right. In, Theoretically, in um, this, like, she's also set up to be a red herring. Mm-hmm. Maybe she's one of the killers, or the killer. Yeah, in this one there's only a solo killer, which is great. I'm glad they they yeah. did away with the two killer thing. Me too. In this one. Do you know? Uh, you probably don't. It's a pretty deep trivia cut. 
what Kevin Williamson's original pitch was for the killer. No, I'm curious. Though. So it's an idea that he actually later repurposed for his Fox TV show, The Following, starring Kevin yeah. Bacon. And it was going to be essentially the movie takes place in Woodsboro again. And at the end of the movie, there's a house full of dead high school kids who've all been killed by Ghostface. And then in a sort of evil Spartacus moment, the realization is that they were all part of a fan club that all plotted together to commit the murders. And so it was like a bunch of people. It wasn't just two. It was like 20 or something like that. Right, right, right. Yeah. And that's kind of the following, I guess, like the elevator pitch for that is it's about a serial killer who's in jail, but he has a cult of people that basically like doing his... yeah, kill in his name. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I like, I kind of like that. I never watched the following. Yeah. Kevin Bacon's I, great. I love anything with a cult, man. Yeah. Anything with an evil cult. Fucking I'm in. Maybe we can check it out. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure it's available on some streamer. Um, yeah. Okay. So anyways, um, should we get to... Blood and guts check. Blood and guts Is check. It time. I want. Yeah, I want you to go it. first. I want to hear what you thought about this. Okay. Um, so, like I said, this is essentially, for all intents and purposes, a first time watch for me because mm-hmm. I didn't remember shit. Yeah. Other than a general feeling of not liking it when I saw right. it, being disappointed, and never thinking about it again. And um, I hate to say that my feelings have largely unchanged mm-hmm. from this viewing okay. in that I didn't really enjoy myself watching it. I, it's very comedic. Mm-hmm. It feels cartoony yeah. in a way that I don't really appreciate mm-hmm. with scream. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, it, it just really didn't leave a, there were things that I did like, I, I will, I'll say that sure. of course yeah. there are things I did like, but it didn't leave a good taste in my mouth. Um, and it felt like a porno imitation. <laughs> it felt like like the not another. Yeah. You know, oh, what, what, what was the uh, not another the, teen movie? No, 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 no. Like the porno, like not. What was what <laughs> oh, was the, the like not scream or something? Triple X or something. Like, yeah, yeah, that yeah, was yeah. like the naming convention. It's yeah. like yeah, yeah. Whatever the naming convention, it felt like that. It just everything felt like mm-hmm. off. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah, that's uh, harsh but fair. Um. So I had remembered this as being my least favorite of the four that I've seen, which everyone's seen because the fifth one hasn't come out quite yet. And I think that expectations play such a big role that it, it, it helped a little bit. I think the fact that I remembered this as being truly the bad one gave it a little bit of a leg up when it came to revisiting it. Because I will say that I'm not ready to uh, announce that this is a a missed masterpiece, but I actually did enjoy it more than I thought I would. Okay, interesting. And I think it gained a little bit for me since I saw it 21 years ago. And I think the main reason why is because I think it works all right as a Hollywood satire, basically. Um, and and I will say that this is probably, like, maybe this will wear off over the coming days and weeks, but this movie truly... I, I made the joke about Jay and Silent Bob deducting a star, a half star from the rating. <laughs> yeah. This movie gained for me an entire full star 
for Parker Posey, who is I oh, really? fucking loved so much in this movie. Yes. Oh, I didn't like her at all. Oh my she was God. one of my complaints. I I felt like she was in a different movie. I thought she was hilarious. I always like her. I think she's great. Um, and I legitimately, I don't know if I was just in a good mood or or what, but like I laughed I out I was loud. also in a terrible, mm-hmm. I will say, I was in a terrible mood when I watched okay. this movie. <laughs> this is right after like my wife yeah, sequestered the COVID, in the basement. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm like <laughs> dealing with shit. Yeah, but yeah, no. Parker Posey drove me a little insane, and I like her too. Mm. But I felt like she was in a Christopher Guest movie where I didn't want, you know, not a scream movie. Sure. But then again, everything else in this movie was also kind of like amped yeah, up. Yeah, and comedically. I think, and I think that's kind of maybe what I'm getting at, which is like for whatever reason, I was okay with just saying, "All right, this movie wants to be mostly a comedy that is also like taking a lot of shots at Hollywood's." for lack of a better term, rape culture. Um, Yeah. And, you know, it's pretty knowing as far as like the inside baseball stuff goes. It's just like, it's, it, you know, it's a Hollywood satire made by people who know Hollywood. And so it, it did feel for me, like it's not authentic so much as it's just like, I don't know. They took some good shots and, and a lot of them land. Um, there, I will say that it's like it's a very hit and miss movie for me. There were lots of things that I didn't like about it, but yeah. but it was mostly just that like there's I got a real kick out of uh, I don't know if we want to give credit to Aaron Kruger, to Wes Craven, probably to both, maybe even to Kevin Williamson. For getting Harvey Weinstein to produce a movie that is like yeah, mostly that... <laughs> about how he's a rapist. Yeah, yeah, I did like that too. Yeah, I, did, I appreciated that. Right. Um, um, yeah, go ahead. One thing I texted to you while I was mm. watching it, two things I texted sure. to you. And I sort of stand by them both, although one of them I don't really know what I mean. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, in the first, that, that being, um, I think this movie suffers the most when you're doing a back-to-back rewatch of the entire series Mm -hmm. because because it's such a tonal shift sure that when you get to this one you're like wait what the fuck (laughs) is going on especially like i I just watched scream 2 last week right um and i think if there were a couple years in between Mm -hmm. these movies i could go into the theater in theory go into the theater and be like okay it's a little bit different but it doesn't like sure I don't feel like I'm getting whiplash. That being said, I didn't like it when I saw it in the theaters yeah. either. So I don't know if that if that's necessarily true. Mm-hmm. But I do think there was a bit of whiplash for me when firing this one up I, compared to the others. Yeah, I mean, I think that totally makes sense. And the thing is, like, I think you and I, we, we've circled back on this idea of, like, what's the best way to make a sequel, right? Are you trying to just do the same thing? Are you trying right, to do something right. really different? And we land on different sides all the time. I think, you know, mm-hmm. the execution, mm-hmm. it's never one size fits all. Uh, and I think for me, there's almost like a, a way in it make the, oh, there's a logic in my head where it's like scream two is trying too hard to match the tone of scream. Sure. And, yeah. and as a result, it just kind of comes off as, as a weaker effort. Whereas this one, to be clear, is not nearly as good as scream. I will go ahead and spoil my final rankings right now. <laughs> it's not going to challenge for the top spot, but it gets it gets a, a point or two in my book for going in a different direction, even if some of that was mandated by the studio and by by 
the events of Columbine. The other thing that I do like about it is the I did largely enjoy the plot, which kind of unfolds just as like a detective story. Yeah. Which is very different from the first two movies. Um, um, I, I agree with you up to a point. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing I hated the most was the killer reveal, Roman, yeah. and his relationship to Sid. It's pretty underwhelming. It's underwhelming, and it's like convoluted mm-hmm. in a way that these sequels always get. So one yeah. th- when, I, when we started this whole thing, and I said, at this point, Scream came out, and it killed off a lot of these series that had gotten so far their heads gotten so far up their own asses with like you know family trees and like Mm -hmm. relations to each other and now we're kind of back in that same situation where it's like oh no sydney has a now it's happening to scream yeah yeah exactly so i really really dislike that whole angle yeah i'm with you there i think scott foley uh is a fine actor he's not a compelling villain He's, it's just, it, it, we lose something with each iteration. I think that Skeet Ulrich yeah. and Matthew Lillard are great in the first one. I really like Laurie Metcalf and Timothy Oliphant was okay in Scream 2. Sure. And this time mm-hmm. around, I think that Scott Foley is, leaves you wanting more, for sure. And and like yeah. you said, the, the, the plot mechanics and the story, the backstory to get you there is very unsatisfying. Um, it really... I think this movie is funny because it, it misses some opportunities, I feel like, where it could have leaned a little bit more into a handful of the Hollywood things. What's up, Fig and Rosie? <laughs> uh, I, I can hear them. I don't know if the people at home can. But, yeah, they can. Um, but uh, I think the two missed opportunities that came to my mind, one is to do a little bit more with Milton, the Lance Henriksen character. Yeah, yes. Um, Because he is like that sort of secondary villain, right? We learn essentially that he is, you know, the Harvey Weinstein stand-in. And that he assaulted, he raped Sidney's mother. And I think that developing him more as a villain, while not necessarily making him the killer, but kind of like... Like, tell me if I'm wrong, and then this is a big swing. Would this movie be more compelling if the killer had a more justifiable motive where you were forced to consider... Like, let's say that they didn't murder just indiscriminately. Like, let's say this was almost more of a revenge-killing scenario, right? And so, you know, I think something like that... It's just, like, Roman's motivation is so blah. Uh, yeah, yeah. If you had something that had a little more punch to it, where you could position Milton as more of a villain in the movie, I think it'd be interesting. Uh, yes, I think if it were more, if the killer reveal in the killings were were more tied to the Harvey Weinstein mm-hmm. character, yeah, I think it would be way better. Yeah, so much more satisfying. Yeah, and would st- I think would stand the test of time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm. I, the other thing too is I think that. I like a lot of the Hollywood stuff, but I also think that there are some missed opportunities here. Um, specifically, I think about how, um, what's his name? Roman fakes his own death. And yet there's like mm-hmm. no discussion of like movie special effects or anything like that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Doesn't that feel like that should be part of it? It's like, oh yeah, he faked his death because he 
has an effects guy who like yeah roman is known for his great special practical right. special effects in his horror movies yeah. yeah or like what if he wasn't the fucking director what if he was the effects guy on the movie you know yeah it's like yeah totally it's not like what if lance hendrickson was was the director yeah which i kind of thought he was when the movie started yeah. and i couldn't remember who was who yeah yeah same um other things that i didn't like um i think there you mentioned getting bored during part of the movie i think yeah i the other thing i had texted to you was that i feel like there's always 45 minutes yeah. left in this movie yeah and it was like around the 50 minute mark mm-hmm. i looked at the running time i was like wow how much more is left yeah and then again at like 45 minutes and then again at like yeah there was a scene that i ended up having to rewatch because i totally spaced out and realized it as you and i were texting and that it was basically the stuff with Sydney in the set of her house, which is an interesting idea. Mm-hmm. And it has some like pretty, uh, you, you could mine some pretty deep thematic stuff from that about like yeah. revisiting the site of her trauma and all that. And I think it misses a little bit, unfortunately it just kind of, and, and the whole thing drags on. It's two hours long. It's an hour and 17 minutes. It's too long. Yeah. It's too long. And and I would say that everything from the explosion at Parker Posey's house until the final confrontation at the birthday party, there's like 20 minutes there that are just like, I. It's, and it includes the part I'm talking about where it's just like, did anything happen that had any impact on the plot? There's the long ass scene with Patrick Dempsey and Nev Campbell and the in the police station and yeah. And you know, it's just like, it's, it's trying to do a couple too many things. This should be a tighter altogether thing. And it's like, why does Randy show up? Why does his sister show up? Yeah. The sister thing. All right, let's talk about it. Yeah. So it's played by Heather Madrazo. Madrazo. Yeah. Madrazo who I like. Mm-hmm. Um, and she, uh, I think one of the funniest things that Todd Stallone's did mm-hmm. was, or Todd Stallone's. Yeah. Stallone's. Uh, in um welcome to the dollhouse no the no. one after that maybe it was is either uh is that happiness the, no it's the one where um there's a different actress right, playing the it. main character in different scenes okay anyway it starts at her funeral <laughs> it starts at like heather heather's uh, uh-huh. like dawn's funeral from welcome to the dollhouse and it's like wow he can't <laughs> He can't let any of his characters be happy. She ends up like killing herself or something like that. Oh, and it's so fucking brutal. I've never seen that. that he, like, oh, it's 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 fine. Uh, it's called like palindromes. Okay, palindromes. I think yeah. that's the one. Yeah, yeah, that's. Uh... It's either that or life after wartime. Anyway, it's just like wow, you can't let your characters be happy at all, <laughs> even after the movies are done. They're wow. like, yeah, they have awful lives. Yeah, he's uh, um, he's experienced some stuff. I would imagine uh, that. Randy's scene is so weird. Yeah. It's so weird. It's like, all right, so if you don't watch Scream 3 and you're just listening to this podcast, <laughs> it's like Randy's like, hey, if you're watching this movie, uh, that means I'm dead. <laughs> so here's the thing. Like, It's like, what yeah. the fuck? And then he gives a Nobody monologue about what's going on in this movie. Yeah. 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 It's just, it's Yeah, cl- it's I, I didn't love it. Yeah. It's very, very clunky. <laughs> Apparently, at the time, people were very mad that Jamie Kennedy had been killed in, in the second one. I truly don't understand why he's... I um, supported he's, it. Wes Craven agreed. With yeah, he's very obnoxious. <laughs> It'd be funny if that was your letter to Wes Craven. Jamie Kennedy is annoying as fuck. I'm so glad you <laughs> killed him. I think he's an anti-vaxxer. <laughs> I'm not sure if he is or not. Yeah, well, um, you know who definitely is an anti-vaxxer? Jenny McCarthy. 
Uh, oh yeah, she's in this one. Yeah, she's like she right is. at the height of Jenny McCarthy. Yeah, it was a nice like having her own show. It was a nice stroll down memory lane. Have I ever told you the story of the my Jenny McCarthy uh, photograph at Christmas time? No. Okay, I'll tell it very very briefly. It's funny enough that I feel like it deserves inclusion here. When I was like uh, thirteen, we'll say uh, post masturbatory age. Um, <laughs> We, we, like most families, had an inkjet printer at my dad's house, and I downloaded a GIF of a Jenny McCarthy play, playmate centerfold uh, where she's, like, naked in a Santa sack, and she's wearing, like, yeah. Santa's oh, cap. Yeah. You know the one I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, so I printed it out to take to my grandparents' house because we were going there for Christmas, and I wouldn't have access to the internet. Uh, so I folded it up and I hid it inside uh, the box for my Super Mario 64 game. Um, and then, you know, hung out for the holidays with my family. And to this day, I still don't know who the culprit was because no one remembers doing this. It was definitely an adult. Four days later, I go, you know, going to do my dirty, you know, pubescent <laughs> my, business. My shame. Yeah. Open up the box, take it out, unfold it. And someone has written in a text bubble <laughs> next to Jenny McCarthy's head that says, Merry Christmas, Mikey. <laughs> uh, it was either my dad or one of my uncles, and uh, none of them will cop to it. Uh, I couldn't, so I couldn't masturbate to it. I couldn't use it after that. Um, <laughs> it haunted me. But anyways, Jenny McCarthy, ladies and gentlemen. Um, looking through my notes... Mm-hmm. I don't have a two, I don't have a ton more. Yeah, but uh, I wrote that like it, ma- it feels made up as it feels like it was made up as it went on. There's a lot you know of what evidence. I mean? like kind of like making up yeah. as you go along. There's a lot of evidence to support that that was the case. You know, yeah. So, which is um, which is always unfortunate. It's like it does suck when that seems to be the thing where it's like this might have been a better movie if they'd been able to do what they set out to do, but. Patrick Warburton's really funny. He is. He's very funny. Uh, I enjoy him almost all the time. I I, I feel like uh, I mean I, I know for a fact that uh, Courtney Cox's hair in this movie got a lot of hate. Uh, and I gotta say, she just looks like a hipster of the time, and looks like she, I would be at a show with her I was, around that time. I, and, I'm, and I'm into it. I was wondering if we could make it all the way to the superlatives before it came up, but sadly, okay. no, it's it's too late. It's all right. Uh, I'll save my comments for Courtney Cox's hair for okay. three or four minutes from now. <laughs> That's fine. Um, why my dogs are fucking big on crazy Jesus? Yeah, Christ. it's uh, it's the witching hour. Uh, Carrie Fisher's cameo seems weird and pointless. Um, weird and pointless. Yeah. Like, I shouldn't. Uh, she Carrie Fisher slept with George Lucas. That's how she got the part. Yeah, that's the joke. The Jay and Silent Bob thing is so fucking weird. Yeah. Um. Yeah, that's oh, you know what? I like the reversal at the end with Sydney mm-hmm. and Roman. Yeah, I like that Sydney's body disappears, then all of a sudden right. she's in power. That's cool. It's a good way. To and do I it. really do love that final shot of the door blowing open sure. in Sydney looking through, and it's kind of this ambiguous ending that right. you don't normally get in a movie like this. Mm-hmm. That I thought was like kind of beautiful, yeah, and poetic. Um, I like that. It's a nice way to end a series that isn't actually ending. That's not actually ending. <laughs> Yeah, that's kind of all I have sure. uh, for thoughts on this movie that, I don't know. Do you have, do you have anything else? Um, just, you know, I think overall, um, 
It's just very up and down. That's the main thing is it's just like there are things that I liked a lot and there are things that really didn't work and uh, are really quite clunky. Um, but I think in terms of specifics, there was one or two things that I didn't get around to saying, but I don't have notes in front of me because I was winging it today. So uh, maybe I'll think of them in my big windup for my uh, final rating. All right. So for body counts, body count. We got Christine, who is Cotton's girlfriend, gets stabbed in the back. Cotton himself stabbed in the head. I thought that was pretty yeah. cool. Yeah. Also, I Chris, like the girlfriend, she was the romantic interest on The Adventures of Briscoe County Jr. Did you watch that show? I did, but I didn't recognize yeah, her. Yeah, yeah. She's uh, Dixie, I think was her name. And yeah, she's a real cutie. She was on Melrose Place, I guess, but I didn't watch that either. Uh, Sarah Darling, who gets thrown through glass and stabbed in the back. Steven, I don't even remember who the fuck he is, gets stabbed in the back and beat with a frying pan. Tom Prinz gets blown. <laughs> Steven is Patrick Warburton. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Stone. <laughs> the person who wrote these, this uh, recap uh-huh. on the Dead Meat Wiki uh-huh. wrote, Tom Prinz blowed the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> Accurate. Yeah. Angelina gets stabbed in the chest. Tyson gets stabbed. His neck gets broken and gets thrown two stories to his death. It's very brutal. Jennifer stabbed in the stomach. John gets his throat slit. And then finally, Roman gets stabbed and then shot in the head by Dewey. What was your favorite death? Um, wait, I... Fuck. <laughs> wait, you go first. <laughs> uh, I like I liked Patrick Warburton's character. Uh-huh. Because he's a fucking dick, and he really gets, like, punished. He gets the like, shit beat out of him. He gets the shit beat out of him. It's like a multi-stepped kill where he gets, like, stabbed, gets hit with a frying pan, then he, yeah. like, stumbles over to, like, the others. Uh, it's, it's satisfying and fun. Yeah. I think yeah. Uh, I, had, I had forgotten to write this down, which is why I needed you to go first, because I had to think about it for a second. I failed. I failed at my job. Um <laughs> But I'm going to say that for me, it was probably, I mean, the one that left the biggest impact is the Jenny McCarthy, Sarah Darling sequence, because it's kind of the most screamy to me. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a very cat and mouse element to it that I think is missing from a lot of these. Yeah, that's a good point you know? that I didn't think about. And mm-hmm. I do like, I mean, it's just like simple but clever things you can do with this uh with this material, like the racks full of ghost face costumes uh, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. all of that. Yeah. And, you know, saying that that is the one death I remembered. Sure. From the movie. Yeah. It, it really did stick out mm-hmm. like the, the, the wardrobe racks. That's a good one. I like that. Oh, nice. um, moments that didn't age. Well, sounds like you got something moments bangs. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it was, I'll say this. It, it really kept me engaged with the movie for the first half. Because <laughs> every time she came on screen, Ken and I were both just like, Jesus fucking Christ, look at her bangs. They're insane. Yeah. Who could they're possibly like, wear those around? I mean, they're they're like uh, skinhead girl bangs. Yeah. It's like a Chelsea haircut or whatever. Sure. <laughs> is that what that is? That that's no, I, I mean, I, you're the expert on this, not me. Uh, <laughs> Both uh, both seen haircuts and skinheads, so non-racist skinheads. Yeah, Chelsea haircut. It's for like skinhead girls. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, 
it's uh it does like i said it reminds me of like i would be at a this an offensive mm. name for a band but they're i i love them you would mike you would fucking hate this band <laughs> They're called Arabon Radar. Okay. I feel like she would she would be at my show. <laughs> I tried to go see the band Arabon Radar uh-huh. on 9-11 at the Middle East. Wow. It was canceled. Okay. <laughs> and you were like, this is fucking lame. Uh, <laughs> imperialist America. Did you have anything you wanted to add? Because I had one more thing, too. I just had... Uh, one of my notes was the wardrobe is tragic. Because <laughs> like, more so than Scream 2, yeah. which... Did look pretty nineties. There is there's just something about that fucking millennium two thousand two thousand one era that's like so bad. It was it's so bad. It was one of the worst times of the yeah. I mean, of American culture that have ever existed. Nothing was flattering. No. Um the other thing I was gonna call out uh, just because I, I think it's only fair because I went in Fairly hard on the most recent Black Christmas. You went fairly hard. Yeah. <laughs> okay, good timing for this one. I was going to say oh, okay. about, <laughs> about all the stuff in the Black Christmas uh, most recent remake. Oh, yes, yes, yes. About, yes. and a lot of my complaints. I did think about Black Christmas yeah. too while watching. A lot this. of my issues with that movie I mentioned on the pod were just sort of like clumsy or insensitive handling of very um, sensitive subjects. And this movie, while it means well, is guilty of the same thing. I think it's just like there was a point at the end when Scott Foley is giving his whole monologue and just the way he delivers pieces of information about what happened to Maureen Prescott is just like, well, this was definitely written by a bunch of men. And it's just like very clumsily handled, pretty insensitive points for intent obviously like they're trying to tell uh a story you know with its heart in the right place but it's it's like the it's 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 clunky and i could easily see somebody being pretty offended by it yeah i i actually was thinking a lot about black christmas mm-hmm. the 2019 one while watching this movie yeah for obvious reasons sure. and um yeah uh, that's a good one that's good uh, on the John Carpenter fear meter, this has got to be pretty. I mean, yeah. I'm speaking for my own mm-hmm. myself. This is really low. Yeah, yeah, like like it's not scary at all. No, no. Like I mentioned, that Jenny McCarthy scene is the only one that really managed to even capture the, some tension in terms of only one. Yeah, only one. Um, so I'm thinking about like a three. I'm with you. I think that's fair. Yeah. All right, and then uh, finally. Mary fuck kill. Uh, do you want to go first? Sure. Or do you want me to go first? Yeah, I can go first. Sure. Um, so I've said it twice. I'll say it a third time. Hit and miss. Uh, I did enjoy some of the comedic elements of this. I enjoy the satire. I enjoy the roasting, both of the very dark side of Hollywood with the whole Weinstein angle, but then also just the sort of more general uh, kind of poking fun at Hollywood sets actors parker posey's character really worked for me i just had a a lot of fun with her she made me laugh a couple times the like you said the warburton bodyguard stuff is great that whole dynamic just kept me entertained um and i appreciated it for being something different um that being said it's like doesn't really succeed that much as a uh 
a scream movie in in like it's it it fails at its original job which is to be like a compelling suspenseful slasher film um and i think the story suffers there's some missed opportunities and like you said eric i think you can feel that they had to wing a lot of this and and it suffers for that um i came into this thinking that this would probably be a kill so i will say positive spin on all of this this definitely moved up to a fuck for me i think okay it's not like uh it's not like a really enthusiastic one but it's but it's definitely like yeah i would watch this again sometime not anytime soon but uh i i enjoyed enough of it that uh that it succeeds to some degree in my mind so i went into this hoping that I would now, 21 years later, have a different opinion than my initial negative response to it because I didn't remember it. Mm-hmm. I thought maybe this is like almost going in fresh. Unfortunately, for me, um, the broadly comedic tone that it's striking compared to the others just felt out of place, for especially for a series that I hold in very high regard. Uh, it felt silly, almost like an imitation of itself for me. Um, not a complete failure. There were things I liked. There's, you know, it's not, it's not ginger dead man, mm, sure. which is a similar <laughs> concept to a movie. Yeah. The second ginger dead man. Right. Um, but I mean, at the end of the day, I really hated the whole lore stuff that they added on to Sydney's story. And then when I was, when I was watching, I'm like, why are we so hyper-focused on Sydney? You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. it's like we're kind of focusing on the least interesting character in a lot of ways. Um, which I think is maybe one of the downfalls of the entire series. Yeah. Is that Sydney Prescott... In and of herself, other than being a survivor, literally a survivor and being a strong person, there's it's mm-hmm. like we're she's suffering because of the choices her mother made, which are you know for better or worse, whether or not she deserves. Clearly, she did not deserve it. Yeah. But like, really, it's like she's the her the most interesting thing about Sydney is that her mother was murdered, right? And then she's kind of just there, yeah. a lot of the times, yeah. Um. Well, we're well I just think, yeah, I agree with you, but I also think it's interesting because I almost feel like that's one of the the, the lesser strengths of this movie is that it does sideline her to a certain degree, and we kind of spend more time yeah, that's true. with Arquette and Cox and Parker Posey. Like that's part of what I like about it. I think. I think there's just something better that could have been done there with this same basic setup. Yeah. I like that Sydney works for a women's crisis hotline. I think it's like appropriate yeah. for her experience uh, because this, this franchise more than any other really does deal with her lingering trauma mm-hmm. in like with each passing installment, her trauma builds. And I think that is interesting, but in this movie, it's just like, it's kind of a broad comedy in a lot of ways. Yeah. It doesn't really handle that very well. Yeah. Anyway, long way of me saying, I think I'm going to have to give this a soft kill. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> like it's, it's really on the edge. Sure. I reserve the right to bump it up in our final rankings. But I think for me, 
I always act like this one doesn't exist. Yeah. And I think kind of with good reason. Okay. Anyway, there you go. All right. Finally, we. It's been. I feel like it's been ages since we had different ratings on a movie. I I agree. Yeah, I was, yeah. I was excited when we got to the blood <laughs> gut check. Okay, guys, we're gonna, we're gonna take a quick break, uh, and then uh, you know what? I'll play a little clip of our next topic of conversation. Yeah. Hello. Scary night, isn't it? Looks like. Right out of a horror movie or something. Who is this? Help me! Help me! Help me! After me! What? Who? Hey, lady! Mike, yeah. I think you're very excited. Uh, you you texted me. You think I'm excited? As I was uh, reading to my son before he went to bed, <laughs> you send me this music video. Uh huh. I could tell there's electricity in the air. Yeah. Around your text, you were mm-hmm. excited. Yeah. What are you excited about, Mike? What is this music video? What is its relation to Scream Three? What if? What is going on? Eric, I've seen the wicked fruit of your vine destroy the man who lacks a strong mind. Oh, my God. Human pride sings a vengeful song inspired by the times you've been walked on. <laughs> Nobody's been walked on more than Scott Stapp. No, man. It's one of his fetishes. Some- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's in that Kid Rock sex tape. Um do you remember this song from the radio? Because I no, do. not at all. <laughs> this song had like a two-week blip on the radio, uh, and I always thought he was singing "Wanted." Wanted. You're dead. <laughs> and apparently, he's saying, "What if you did? What if you lied? What if I avenge? What if eye for an eye?" <laughs> the so last this- one isn't even a sentence. <laughs> <laughs> this wasn't directed by Wes Craven, was it? No. But okay. this was directed by a very successful music video director whose name I can't remember, but he did like all of Missy Elliott's videos in, in the late 90s, 2000s. It wasn't Hype Williams, was it? No. Hype oh, okay. Williams did her like uh, I Can't Stand the Rain, like her early stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. This was like the Work It era. Um, Got, it. Got it. Yeah. And apparently it works a bunch with like Ariana Grande and like Camila Cabello now. So he's a wow. big time music video director. But anyways. You watched the music video. What did you see? Oh, man. What did I not see? Uh, so the plot of this music video is basically Dewey from Scream <laughs> yeah, <that's right. laughs> is a, uh, a, a a guard. A security guard. A security yeah. guard in a movie studio mm-hmm. during in, in an on-the-studio Creed and some babes who are not in the movie. No. For a second, I was like, oh, Jenny McCarthy. Like, no, it's not Jenny McCarthy. Yeah. yeah, so you need to understand there's four guys in Creed, and each one of them has a different hot babe with him. Yeah, yeah. And uh, they're being stalked by Ghostface um, yeah. in various terrifying ways. Yeah. And then at the end, it's revealed it's a big, big goof. 
It's a big goof. They're all ghost face or they're all wait, ghost, who's ghost face. They're all uh, ghost face. I th- oh, yeah, I think. Right. I think they're all ghost. <laughs> I'm going to be honest. The plot is a little unclear. Yeah. But there is a reveal that no one's actually dead. Right. Um, it's all it's all a goof. Yes. And a ghost face mask is ripped from Scott Stapp's face as it rains. <laughs> And Scott uh, on, Stapp is wearing a silver shirt. Yeah, that is soaked with uh, rain from a rain machine <laughs> on a studio backlot. He also spends half the music video singing directly into what I can only assume is an industrial box fan. Uh, yeah. Because his like, hair is straight back the whole time. He's headbanging into like, uh-huh. a fisheye lens or something. <laughs> like, yeah. But the the thing that really struck a chord with me that I had, like when I was like, we have to talk about this video so the bass player for Green. I was going to talk about the bass player too. Do you want to talk about his journey? Uh, I was going to talk about his technique first. Okay, yeah, talk about his technique. You then then let's, you can address his journey. Yeah. He's holding the bass straight up. Yeah, like he like in he a does way, a lot never, of those these yeah. things, the up and down. What do you call that? And his strings are tuned down so low that they look like elastic bands. Like it's like that like low e string is just flopping around (laughs) it's so weird yeah um so i should clarify unless i'm misunderstanding the plot of the video i i misspoke three of the four members of creed have hot girls with them Mm. the bass player finds a basketball hoop on the back lot (laughs) and proceeds to dunk on it and then take practice shots until he is attacked by Ghostface. Oh, classic bass player. It's just the most non sequitur fucking thing imaginable. It's like this video already doesn't make sense with its like purported plot. And then this guy was just like, no, I'm not doing that. I'm going to, I'm going to dunk a basketball. I'm really good at, I can actually dunk a basketball. So I'm going to do that. Yeah. And he is wearing a real 2000 rock guy uniform. It's a little, it's a little more pop, like kind of pop punk. Yeah. He's wearing what appears to be uh, like a really tight. It's like the two tone, like the, 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 it's a short sleeve and the sleeves are red, but then the rest of the shirt is black uh, and he's flying through the air and he's dunking <laughs> a basketball, but it's not even on a real court. It's like, there is, you know how they have like trailers on, on studio lots and then somebody just like put one of those portable basketball hoops behind a trailer. Yeah. And he's dunking on it. And it's part of this massive music video. Was there a Creed song in the first movie as well? Was that a credit song? think so. No, the credit song so. for Creed, uh, the credit song for the first movie, which we never talked about because I failed at my job, is... To my memory, one of the first Moby songs oh, that right, I saw in right, a movie. Right. Yes, yes. Because there was that era of the late 90s and early 2000s when Moby was literally had, I think, like a Guinness World Record or something for the most licensed album ever. Yeah, Play. Was Play by Moby. Mm-hmm. And he made a, so much fucking money off of that, oh, yeah. that album. And he sunk it all into his vegan oh, restaurant in look- Silver Lake. I'm looking at that bass string just like flopping around. What is going on? Uh, right, guys, of, you should check out this music video for what if. Yeah, it, it is of a time. 
Yeah. I also want to shout out Creed not only appears on the Scream 3 soundtrack twice, they produced it. They produced the soundtrack. They produced the soundtrack, and it is wall-to-wall new metal. Um, I mean, they're honestly like the least new metal band on the soundtrack. Yeah. Um, and God. this is one of their more metal songs, I would say. You owe it to yourselves at home the to jump on YouTube. Wardrobe, but people are wearing is so awful. <laughs> what a nightmare of a time. Um, I just want to read a couple of the comments from the YouTube. Taylor Colasant one year ago says, I don't care what anybody says about Creed. That band was dope, and this song is a banger. (laughs) (laughs) Magnetic Lifestyle says, Creed's best song. Singing, guitar riffs, bass guitar, solid drums. 10 of 10. (laughs) Uh, Fairhaven said, Some people thought they were a lame Christian boy band, but that's part of what made Creed who they are. (laughs) And part of what made them so successful. I never understood the hate. This song still gives me cold chills, and that's hard to do. (laughs) (laughs) Caveman of Tech. I don't remember a lot from my childhood, but I will never forget the day I heard Creed. Creed (laughs) helped me change my taste in music from top 40 to rock. And without rock, I would have never got into metal. And without metal, I would have never have gotten into multiple other genres. It all started with Creed. Benjamin H. says, can we all just take a minute to appreciate that the bass player is literally playing the bass straight up? (laughs) (laughs) There it is, folks. Check it out. Oh, boy. Wow. We really took a trip down memory lane there. Um, Okay. I want to know how many, if this this website doesn't exist, I'm going to make it. How many movie end credits play over a Creed song? Oh, man, we should figure that out for next time because so many. There is another thing we've watched recently that had yeah. a Creed. And I don't I mean, remember That's how we is. got into the whole Marlins Will Soar thing. Yes, 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 yes. Because was a Creed yes. song. Yeah. Oh, shit, what was it? Was it a Halloween movie? Oh, it was, was, it uh, it was Halloween Resurrection. Yeah, yeah that's what I think sense. that's what it is. Maybe it's just the Weinsteins had a hard-on for Creed. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> that famous uh, Scott Stapp Kid Rock video, what you don't realize is Harvey's right off screen. He's, <laughs> he's behind the camera, you know. Oh, yeah. Gross. Yeah. Okay, guys. We're going to be talking Scream 4 next week. And then, um, yeah, we still haven't figured out how we're going to watch Scream 5. Although Jerry's maybe I'll have out. COVID by that point and I'll be able to just go see it. <laughs> yeah. or, you know what? I might just go fuck it. Like, at this point, it's like, well, I don't, if I don't get it for my wife who sleeps in bed with me, although she's downstairs now, then yeah. I guess I'm not going to get it. So I don't know. You're not going to get it wearing a mask in a theater. Right. Um, you can skip out of work. We could see it on, like the next Tuesday at, you know, 3 p.m. or something. The jury's yeah. still out, folks. We'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. Um, if you want to write to us, you can do so at Gmail, uh, killstreakpod at gmail.com. <clears throat> Sorry, I'm losing my voice. Uh, which, hey, maybe that's COVID. Who knows? <laughs> probably, <laughs> probably not. That's, my voice has been like that lately. Yeah, I feel like you've said that at the end of a lot of episodes where you didn't get COVID after. Uh, Twitter at killstreakpod. Also, Instagram. Mm-hmm. Uh, leave us a voicemail. Yeah, Scream 4 is available to watch on Hulu and Amazon Prime. Uh, I thought these were all available together on Paramount Plus, but no, they're like they've been on separate streamers. Yeah. Every single one of them. They've all been streamable, but they're all over the damn place. They're all over the goddamn place. Yeah, join us next week. All right, guys, join us next week, and as always, 
Hey, detective, what's your favorite scary movie? My life. <laughs> I forgot about that dumb line. <laughs>